0: My name is Zoe, the co-host of Not Superwoman. I am the granddaughter of French, English and Irish immigrants now living on Boorong land. I acknowledge that we meet on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast was recorded. We pay respects to Elders past and present. I recognise and respect their cultural heritage beliefs and relationships with this land.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. Morning rat. Morning.
0: It's actually the afternoon.
1: I'll never get that right. How are you feeling this morning? One day I'm gonna answer super, but just not today. Today, when okay. we were drunk on that episode we did. <laughs> The Christmas, don't, don't <laughs> our don't Christmas I'm... special. <laughs> um, today we got the. Absolute pleasure of sitting down with the very intelligent, very clever Virginia Tapscott, who is a, a journalist. You might have seen her. She's written uh, for The Australian. Uh, she's been on No Filter with Mia Friedman, at the podcast, and she's also written some articles for Mama Mia and much more. Uh, and she is the founder or co founder of Parents' Work Collective. It's an advocacy group that is um, there in intention is valuing care and work and pushing policy to give parents the choice to care for children from home. She's collaborated with like the memo and got um, her incredible slogan, all mothers work, which is available through the memo. You can purchase
0: those t-shirts and it goes back into funding the parent work. Like yeah. So work, it's a, it is it. a great initiative. I personally found it really interesting talking to her. I was, I think I use the word bristly. <laughs> Because yes. I was, like it, it, it evokes so many different emotions within you. Like, God, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I feel so much discomfort, guilt.
1: I remember her no filter episode came out um, during COVID and that was a really challenging time because that was also when you are either forced to stay at home with if, or you were a permitted worker. And or you were...
0: Teaching your children yeah. while you were working. It was so horrific. Will we all remember, I don't even know why I'm going back there. I'm like
1: <laughs> I know. But um and I and she had a debate sort of with Mia Friedman because even Mia herself um felt really uncomfortable with the suggestion that possibly her articles, Virginia's articles had um, suggested that, you know, we we are undervaluing mothers that take, uh, or carers that take care of children from home and question mothers who choose to go to work. And I think what we tried to discuss with Virginia in this episode is that that's not actually what her intentions are, but it's always an uncomfortable conversation because it makes us reflect upon our own decisions.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think, one mother justifying her decisions by degrading the choice of another is not in the interests of women broadly, because at the end of the day, most of us will still need to engage in some care in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if you're working full time, you're still getting up in the morning, you're cleaning your house, you're feeding your children, you're dropping them at childcare, you're doing a full day's work, coming home, dinner on the table, putting
1: them to bed. Like, it it is just what it is, mm. but it's funny because it's been we've been such at different ends of the spectrum. So that's why it was such an interesting episode for us both because um, I've been at home for eight years and you've been working and um, and so we both have different takes on um, you know some of Virginia's. But also, views. you've just transitioned back into work in the last say twelve months, yeah,
0: and that's been incredibly challenging. Like, you yes. know, is the grass greener?
1: The grass is dead. <laughs> the grass is dry, Farron. It's in a drought. Definitely There's not greener. Always, I think that's the thing. It's valuing that it is challenging on all sides. On both sides. Yeah. And you never can community- to get, like, you want that
0: validation. It comes from desperation. Yes. There's so many emotions in this episode. And I don't even know whether, like, I'm being brutally honest here, I kind of left it wanting
1: more Yes, we didn't quite get the opportunity to to really round it out and I think that we, I mean, in, in, a, in a perfect world, we'd love to sit down with Virginia again and, and keep going at it because it's still such an evolving thing. Oh, it is,
0: it is. And I think, you know, caring for others will always be valuable for raising resilient, well-adjusted children mm. of the future, future generations. Like, it, it's that word caregiving. Yes. And I think that's what it comes back to.
1: Yes. I, and I, I mean, my biggest belief is, I mean, we have to value it more because of the fact that it, it enriches our communities and our societies. Definitely. It's the fabrics of, you know, the future generation. And so that's why um, I think the fact that she is going out there and raising this awareness and pushing, um, you know, for intentions for the greater good of the community is such an important conversation. Definitely, so we welcome Virginia and we are excited to share this episode with you. Welcome to this week's episode of Not So Far Woman. This is an exciting episode for me because I have been following our guest's articles and her work uh, working for the advocacy group of Parents Work Collective. Virginia Tapscott for quite a while. I tell you, in the depths of COVID is certainly when I, <laughs> when I really connected to your articles. But we're so excited to have you on. Welcome, Virginia. Thank you. I sent your article in the Australian to her the untold value of care that came out I think in 2022 20, yeah. 2022 yep, Um, And I tell you what, it certainly hit Melbourneite people at a time, especially after lockdowns, where there was just so much going on. And um, I know that um, being a homemaker myself the last eight years, that I really identified with the voice of what you were saying and the points that you had. But it certainly, it had such a reverberating effect. I know you've been writing articles and been a journalist for a while, but was What was the response like for that for you?
2: Oh, it was so validating um, that you don't write something like that unless you have been feeling um, – it comes from a place of desperation. Yeah. You don't put yourself out there like that with what would be considered a fairly contentious, like, column essentially unless you are at a point where you don't see any other way and that's – where I got to, yeah, so I was at a point in my parenting where I just felt com- like invisible, like I wasn't valued, like I, the expectation was that I should be in paid work and that this somehow wasn't valuable what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And initially on an internal level that never sat right with me, then I read a lot of the academic literature and that still didn't really line up with our cultural view of um, parenting and our policy. It was there was a disconnect between what academia is saying about a child's early years and what else actually happening. Policy is nudging, yeah. Mm. What's how we actually deal with those early years? And yeah, I just I blew up, and when I blow up, I just bash a keyboard, <laughs> and that's you did a good happened. job. Um, <laughs> Yeah and I I just it was yeah we got I got in touch with a lot of people it clearly did hit a nerve and I wanted it to because I wanted people to just stop and think for a second about this care um element of society and and all not just parenting like aged care child care all of um disability care that this is all in tatters because we are just structuring like culturally and economically in a way that doesn't value that.
1: To, to put some context and background into to you to give to you is as I said I've been at home for eight years and and then further to that my mum passed away when I was young and so I've been responsible for the care of my grandparents so I deal with not only um, being at home taking care of my children but also being responsible for my grandparents, and both aged care, when you said then aged care and childcare, like it, both industries are completely overwhelmed and struggling. And so I, yeah, really identified with it, but then also I can I can see all, all sides of how, you know, it, it ignites, I guess, a self-reflection from the parent and the caregiver and so on that, that makes them think about their own choices. It obviously then, from that article and the response, you had people people reaching out to you, like you had a podcast interview with Mia Friedman mm, on No Filter. And I remember, like, when the article and the podcast came out, like, it was being shared so much between the women and mums and stuff that we like, that we all know. Um, what was what was that experience like? Because as a listener, it, it felt like it was yeah, it was a bit of a head to head of two totally different, I guess, experiences of motherhood.
2: Oh yeah, I kind of knew Mia would be. I knew she wanted to challenge me on on some of the points in that article, and my um, intention is never to attack people's individual choices it's always about like the structural environment that we're making those choices within and I think once I sort of sort of showed that to me like it kind of makes it harder to yeah come in really hard at someone attacking where it's just like look i people make all sorts of decisions and I think it's a direct product of what's best for them in the cultural and yeah economic environment we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. but still it is still really hard when people challenge you on that and I just was very I was so stoked that she wanted to bring like she read out parts of that article like word for word like she's still airing those views and that is really important and that is what we need women in positions of power and influence to do Mm. and she was and she did that so I am just like I'm a fan. Like, yeah, it gives you that platform, and then opens it up to so many more people. And I I think challenging people we have to relearn how to do that again. And Mia Ken she knows how to do that.
0: Yeah, and do it in a way that's not yeah. offensive as well, like you kind of have a considered conversation. That was
1: completely respectful, yes, considered. Yes,
2: in, in my view. Mm. Um,
1: oh, you could see, I agree. And and when when listening to it, Zoe and I were both talking about it yesterday in the lead up to meeting you, and we were talking about how uh, we were both feeling, for the want of a better term, and, and I don't say it in so much of a negative mm. connotation, but triggered,
0: you're bristly, I think. think You kind mm. of, like, you always
1: are going to defend
0: what you've done or the decisions you've made and maybe they do come with a bit of guilt. Maybe they do come with a bit of, oh, maybe I could have done that differently.
2: But how do we learn how to talk about the value of, you know, both people in unpaid care roles and people in paid work without – um making people feel really uncomfortable. And I think that is by giving people a situation where they can make the choice that they want to make. Mm. If people are sort of making decisions about care for their children, care for their elderly parents in situations where they don't feel like they have a real choice, then I think there's a level of discomfort that sits with you. And if something, if something is said that sort of brings that up, it hurts Yes, If you're living in like this state of sort of a cognitive dissonance, right, where what's on the inside's not matching up with what's happening on the outside, and that might be for people who, it could go either way, like you could be in an unpaid caregiving role and really be thinking, God, I should be doing something else, or you could be, you know, in paid work and think, God, I really want to spend more time with my kids. Like whenever that tension is brought up, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. Mm. So, yeah, being able to talk about the value of both contributions and also giving people a safety net. I am talking I am talking about, like, public policy safety net so that people can make... So f- when you
0: say safety mm. net, do you mean, I guess, some kind of, I don't know, paid salary because they're not going to end up with super? Because that's also, mm. you know... It, it, and then, who's paying funding that? Like, is it taxpayers? Is it like how does
2: that all work? Well, it is taxpayers, and it's 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 high tax um, systems. It's all of those types of things. That's just it. It's socialist policy. It just is, and that's what the Norwegian countries have. That is why they they have offered genuine choice in um at what stage you decide to engage with the early childcare system. Probably not it's probably not absolute freedom of like, you probably have to, I think once the child starts to get to preschool age, um, their caregiver allowances for children start to taper off. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is largely no children in childcare under the age of one in those countries um, just because the parental leave is so long. And then they have, they sort of back that up with um, caregiver allowances. They have high taxes. They're, they're socialist policies, and people have to pay for them. But if you want people to have genuine choice in how they care for their children, and if you if you don't want parental caregiving to be an unattainable luxury in the society that you live, it's going to equality is going to be expensive. Yeah, mm. and we have to just work out if we want to pay for that because to this point, equality sort of been like, well, we can pay for that because if the women are in paid work, then we can pay for that. So as long as you're in paid work, you can be equal, financially independent, all the rest of it. But, yeah, it's just like I think we're now moving into phase two of gender equality where we have to be like, well, are we going to value all the contributions equally or are we just going to typically this male, linear, full-time, non-interrupted work pattern, is that all that's going to be valued equally? Mm. So – because I always think about – I kind of throw ideas
0: around in my head when we were talking about – Beck and I were chatting about this and when you were talking about a primary carer, I always thought, you know, it would be so wonderful if I could get, say, my – or grandparents to pay what Mm. I paid to childcare, pay that to my, you know, grandparents, parents to then care and use that subsidy there. So then that's their being paid because they have to take work – They would prefer to work looking after grandchildren.
2: And this builds community. And
0: they're super. Like, they need to fund actually living. A lot of people's parents don't have a lot of
2: super, you know, and I guess it's good for everyone. Mm. Flexibility with the childcare subsidy also, you know, to make it include um, care that you source yourself, to make it include family yeah like grandparent care You're just more inclusive well it's inclusive for people not only who just want more choice but people who actually can't access the child care so in rural areas in yes. child care deserts um, people with children with um, like higher needs because we know that our child care system it's largely for-profit based and that the for profits have a tendency to not actually take those higher needs children on board because there's, um, it's more expensive. It's it's not. Well, as they'd cost have to efficient. have a carer per child, and they and they don't have the ratio so to to be able to do it. We know that our for profit, not profit, community sort of the ratio of how our childcare sector is structured does not is not completely inclusive. So, you know, government may be working on making these things more inclusive and affordable, but in the meantime there are things that they can do to make sure people in rural areas can there's in the in-home care scheme is extremely clunky and it's difficult to access and it's very small.
1: Going back to like everyone's I guess reactions to the article the Mamma Mia um, podcast when people are feeling triggered, I think my varied reaction to, to Zoe's was wasn't coming from so much of being a defensive about being um at home care for my children. Um, I identified with you about how um, in the shadows I felt, undervalued. Um, I felt like I was trying to justify my position a lot to any time I was socially engaging with people. Mm. And I felt um, like to a point where years ago on Mother's Day when I was feeling particularly vulnerable, I wrote a huge post about it because I was like, I feel almost ashamed when I get to the doctor's surgery and you have to fill out the form and it says occupation. And I'm like... Mm. I don't know what to put. And homemaker or at-home carer feels laughable mm. in, the, in the eyes of our current community status. Yeah. So I identified it in that regard. But when people get triggered by your suggested um, adjustments and change to systems and policy, I just sort of lose uh, – what I don't understand is is, like, if there is – if you are true to equality, if you are true to supporting women, and if you are true to being open and and a community, you would see ultimately that the, the the ultimate goal here is for the want of our better future for not only for us, and it probably wouldn't even happen immediately, but but also for our like children and our daughters to have the option and the ability to have um, less pressure. Um, improved mental health and more, more choice. So when I was listening to Mayor Friedman um, debating with you, I just felt like triggered for the fact of like these are sort of semantics. Or in the big scheme and the big picture of of what we all want to try and achieve here, and that was where I was like, I don't understand why we're talking but I guess what that's what comes with politics and policies you do yeah. have to talk through the semantics to get out to the other side so tell me is that where uh, was it after that um, article and the articles that you've written in the Australian and where you started the parents work collective
2: yeah just to touch on something you said then is that if you put it like that most people don't most people agree you know yeah I want people to have more choice um I yeah I want women to feel equally valued and men to feel equally valued in unpaid caregiving roles I think when you put it like that people are like yeah yeah why wouldn't I but that's in that moment and then we slip back into these entrenched views about what we consider to be contributing what we consider to be work Mm. and people still sort of say, well, yeah, like, I'd love to play with my kids all day. It's like, we all know that's not really what happens and that there's a lot of work involved. But it's just this entrenched view that we sort of reinforce when we sort of say, well, if you're not at work contributing to taxes and you're well off enough to be doing that, like, I'm not supporting you. And it's not those, that's not what it is for all families. Most families who are in providing, like, uh, like one labour equivalent of unpaid caregiving, is uh, they're stretched mm. to be able to do that if not going backwards. And that's what we've done, is we've just gone backwards, um, essentially, in many ways. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it's, that's what Mia and I were sort of, this it's this entrenched view of what work is and what we who is worthy of support and that and also but also these views around there's a real internal devaluation of care I think where we think oh it's boring oh you know it's not I trained all these years to get this degree and and I have my career and it's just we yeah we have I think that what all that breeds is like this internal devaluation of care that I had I know I did that. When I first became a mum, I was just – that's why it was so difficult because I didn't value the work that I was doing. Mm. And when – you know, you can do jobs that are boring. You can do jobs that are hard when you get paid and, you, you are like, your bosses. you know, really like well, – You love that validation. Or mm. you, you really like your boss and you've got great colleagues. And when, when jobs get really, like, down in the dumps is when, you know, it's hard – it's lower valued work, you don't get paid or you don't get paid very well. Um, but yeah, that's just my, that, that's where I see it's just this internalised evaluation of care that people don't even realise they're kind of doing it. Oh, yeah. So if you,
0: I, I don't know, I've just got so many questions here so I'm kind of just chucking them out because <laughs> I can't process it in my mind. So I think, okay, just say I took two years off or three years off to be at home full-time with my children, I think I would really struggle to then integrate back into work. I would feel like I'd lost confidence, my skill set. What if, you know, Charlie and I ended up separating? I was a single parent. How would I then pay
2: for it? I just totally. – I, I, this is what I worry about. Well, this is where women still don't have genuine choice and that's yeah. what I'm mad about. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that's completely, and that's why going back to paid work is a very valid, logical response that many women find themselves in, even today. And that's a new layer of oppression. Mm. That's a that's we didn't see that coming, mm. and now we're just like, oh, we don't know what to do about that now, because. Um, People are still reluctant to – our leadership still reluctant to pay superannuation to people who are on paper
0: Well, yeah, I've never, I, I've never like, really paid myself super because
2: I freelance. Oh, no. And so God, it's like yeah, super – Oh, <laughs> well, I don't even know <laughs> – That's yeah. a whole nother nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, like that's what you said. And attachment to the labour force is critical. You can legislate longer um, unpaid leave – You can, there's a lot of things that we can do to, um, I'm not sure about like the confidence and the skills thing, um, whether that's more of like, I don't know, it depends on what what industry your vocation is, but there are a lot of things you can do to help people keep in touch with their um, skill sets um, to a point. There's obviously vocations that'll be, um, that'll be difficult. Because things are just changing so quickly. And th- this is where we talk at Parents Work Collective. We talk a lot about the dual earner-carer society. So in that, um, so that's just, at the moment we talk about we're a universal earner society. where like both parents must equally disengage from caregiving to equally engage in paid work. And there's this... Theorising around how it looks, which is sort of more what it looks like in the Norwegian countries where they have really um, high levels of social support, is we see a lot more like both parents will work part time. So they're still on a one paid labour equivalent. Yes. They're still on a single income technically, but both parents are remaining attached to the labour force on the way through. Yeah, so it's
0: flexibility, I guess,
2: and it's changing the way a working week and a family functions. And this is where I have grown as a person since um, my The Untold Value of Care article because I'll be honest with you, at that point I thought it should – I really felt like the woman was uniquely placed to be in a caregiving role long term. I am still not convinced about um, the really earliest months – um, with like, you've birth mainly. I'm I'm concerned about the woman. Um, straight after straight birth. after birth, like having that support postpartum to heal and recover, and without the pressure of um, splitting, like you paid parental leave with your partner. I don't know what everyone else's views on that are, but I I just feel like that sort of one year time frame is is really fair for people to. Um, which is what, you know, the paid parental leave is in those countries. Um, but, yeah, definitely looking to shift um, as the child gets older, definitely looking to shift that care work equally. And if you, where you can't exactly equally distribute care, unpaid care work, which I don't think you ever can cut it down the middle because the woman is pregnant, gives birth and may choose to breastfeed. And every relationship so different. I, I just... I think that if, you, if we're going – whereas we're committed to that right now, that is our trajectory. That is in policy, in culture, we are committed to being like we will split this down the middle rather than saying, well, when that's never going to be completely equal. We need to start looking at ways where we can, um, we can look at how, how do we um, remunerate that time or how do we rectify, how do we value that contribution appropriately so, you know, for the first year, it's just like two people getting up in the morning and going to their different jobs. And so it's if, if motherhood or parenthood is not such a disadvantage, can we fix that instead of being like, just don't do it? Try to do it as little as you can.
1: I'm mm. Going back to um, when we were talking about earlier about how returning to the workforce I will say from my experience, I mean, even this podcast has come about because of the fact that I've been out of work for eight years and I my children are now starting school and I was sort of like, well, I could see and I'm fortunate. I will acknowledge I am I am privileged. We work hard, but we're incredibly privileged. And I know that all of my views come from, from like a, a, a sheltered environment in that sense. And... I, but I will say that I want want to return to work because I had, being at home, I do feel like torn. I don't feel valued um, by the community, so I feel like I have to prove myself. But then I feel guilt because I have personal preference to stay home um, about leaving the kids. But now they're starting back at school, I'm like, I need to reform my identity and I also need to prove my capabilities to society. And then then my thought process goes to, okay, we're well, re-entering the workforce, but the workforce doesn't want necessarily or I have to reprove who I am and my capabilities, even though I would say being a homemaker and being providing planning organisation and every facet of what it is to take care of a family in a home has garnered me mountains Mm. of information and knowledge and growth that I wouldn't have otherwise experienced. But my point being is I went to the idea of returning to film and TV production is what I did, and um, I was being offered entry-level uni-grad positions, um, you Mm. know, at at minimal wage, and I was – I just cried, I just was like, I can't believe after all of that education and all of that university experience and all of that um, career path and motherhood that that is what it amounts to. Mm. But then, that being said, I understand that there has to be a balance there of, you know, it's not fair to you know, just burst back in and, and expect, you know, um, a high-level role and a high-level pay and all those sort of things. So the podcast came about because I was like, I'm going to prove to myself and um, and in turn hopefully uh, a media industry that 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 I am a capable producer and I can put things together and I know how to, you know, story write and forward plan and those things. And so that was the journey that I've been going through. But all through the grit and sort of um experience of um from being at home and feeling very lost and confused so it's just really difficult to know cuz i wondered whether or not are there and would you know of any support programs that help women integrate back into the workforce that are a more of a higher level like do they even exist oh
2: i know of one yeah and again, this is somewhere where our energies could be directed if we were more supportive of that contribution. Mm. But because, yeah, and we saw that, like, it it did start with women entering the paid workforce. They really dialed back welfare for single mothers um, in tandem with that was happening. So it's like, well, you work now, so you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I don't know what you're going to do about your kids, like, they can go to the group care or whatever, but depending on how many children you have, it's not financially viable yeah. to put them in care. And they, the, Australia and in the US, they saw this trend of, of winding back welfare for single mothers and single parents um, with as the and the work for welfare programs, which is kind of like what Parents Next was, where they were providing welfare to parents, but only um, if they. Um,
0: Met a certain criteria,
2: yeah. And Julia Gillard, um, this was, you know, this was a a woman who became our Prime Minister who, this is an example of women getting into um, positions of power and leadership but then having, yeah, not valuing the care contribution and she wound back the age that um, you could get the single parent payment to. So she made that, she cut that off earlier essentially and so, yeah, all of these types of things, like um up ramps back into the workforce are things that we don't have a focus on in our society. I haven't even looked at what mm. what i what job I would be able to get, just making it up as I go along, didn't really think too far ahead, and still don't really think too far ahead. I just did what I felt like i wanted needed to do, and yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. personal question, Mm. does your partner,
0: do you have a partner? Yeah. Yep. 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 Does he work full time? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would have to, I've been breastfeeding. So, um, and rehabilitating my pelvic floor. So. We're all still doing (laughs) that. Eight years later. (laughs) So, I mean, you probably do that while you're in paid work, but yeah. Um, Breastfeeding was just something that I really like to do, so um, that's been a problem for me to um, re-enter the the paid work. Oh, but course. it's a
0: problem for most people. Yeah. Like no one wants to express this, in a toilet.
2: This is what I'm saying. Like where, where the biology does have some salience, and I just really feel like that biology, for good reason. Initially, we had to really minimise that to be accepted into like the paid workplace we had to say look that's not something that is going to be an issue Um, we can do all of these jobs and we should be allowed to and and I'm grateful for that enormous amount of like yeah um, women's liberation work Um, but I think we're now at the point where we're established we were we did get in we beat everybody at their own game and now it's time for us to be like, well, I can do all of that. I have shown you, and I, but now I just actually, I want to do this and I should also be valued for that. We just didn't go that second part of the thing. And, and women did get into positions of power and leadership. But to be in those positions, you have to adopt a full-time, linear work pattern, really it's very difficult to and this is that like caregivers have um, historically always had difficulty um, advocating for themselves because they're care they're giving care to people who don't stop needing the care just because they that we can't go on strike so this is like this disconnect from power that needs to be um, somehow subverted I don't know how you do that because I'm as as you guys have seen like It's been really difficult for me to even chat to you. I'm sure it's difficult for you to organise your lives so that we can have this chat. That's the barrier that we're up against. Yeah, it's so hard. It's the juggle of yeah, like your life and managing it. How do you? But so we slipped into that, I guess what you'd call traditional gender roles because I wanted to breastfeed. I don't know, like a lot of it just happened. Yeah, And, and. I've heard, like, same-sex, same-sex couples say that, that, that this happens. Like, the person who births the kid and tries to feed it is less well-positioned to go back to full-time work.
0: Oh, yeah. But even <laughs> – and, you know, I, I, ha- I do have these conversations with friends that work, you know, full-time, and they're like, God, it is so hard working returning to work after having children, managing mm. your household, doing all of that full-time. Mm. Like a three or four day week max is fantastic yeah. if you can make that work because then you somehow find what we deem a balance. It, it, it's that mental balance too. It's that teamwork with your partner.
2: You Have know, you it, noticed that some sometimes there's that element of society that still thinks that's not quite enough, that that's not good enough though? Like there's this element of like go back to work full time or don't bother.
1: I do,
0: when you do, when I do notice that? I think it depends on the industry. I do. And -hmm. I think friends, for instance, that are, you know, say partners in a law firm and, you know, they have young children, they're like, yes, I've felt the pressure to go back Mm -hmm. full-time because, one, I won't get paid nearly what, Mm -hmm. you know, my peers do full-time, yet I end up working full-time because I'm working nights, I'm working, Mm -hmm. you know, erratic hours um, and I won't be offered those same opportunities if I'm not seen to physically be there present but it's I guess it comes down to the individual and what's important to you but I do know what you mean.
1: Like um, the the part, the idea of part time, same as this, I, for me, the the idea of being an at home carer, it, it almost sounds privileged and and um, like a lady of leisure for a homemaker, which is something so that's I've just like, never thought
0: of it like that. Like, haven't you? We're not. No, no. Like oh. when I
1: think of being at home full time,
0: I think that is way too hard for me. Oh. I think that yeah. job is so encompassing and and just. I personally could never do that because that job is
2: too hard. But this is because it's we lack community and we lack a community in that sort of caregiving space. So we almost do it for respite. That's what you're talking about. Like no, I don't re- want to be home with my children for respite. No, no. No, no, just saying that's why you The return to paid work <laughs> is actually being offered as respite, as treatment. Yeah, that's like a Coast pleasure. Yeah. That's a pleasure. It's a break. But we like, I guess historically, you which would have is fucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> historically, you would have had a break because you know you could go to the neighbours or I, I don't know, your family were around or you know. Yeah. Yes, it's, yes. As the, like fabric of society sort of breaks down further and further, once you get into an unpaid or a, like a caregiving role at home, it is incredibly isolating and it can be a it can be a toxic space. This is what goes back to what at the start where I said. It's a fairly reasonable, well, it's lonely and yeah, isolating step to return. That's where your yeah, community is. Yes, and this says a lot about us as a society. You've got your now. colleagues. Work attracted. is our life.
1: Well, and work is our community. <laughs> yeah. And and, work, and, yes, and, yes, and yes, and this yes. is
2: capitalism has been really successful in 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 making sort of people think, oh, do what you love, like that can be your life, and then you can just earn money and love it. And it's just like, well, that may work for some people, but. I think A the majority small. of people don't, like, get up and, like, just have complete Skip passion the for, like, going to earn their money. Like, we've been sort of, that's an ideology that sort of conditions
1: us to think that that's possible. Mm. When I was um, looking into the notes on this, uh, the Work and Care Select Committee when they put in one of their submissions, according to the latest data of the National Early Childhood Education Regulator, uh, 15% of long, uh, of long daycare services in Australia hold staffing a staffing waiver, which allows them to operate even though they cannot meet the legal minimum staffing requirements, essentially saying that um, there is a waiver there for when they're overwhelmed, and they are required to continue to open, but the they can't meet the minimum like standards of care. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Which so instead that, of the ratio per child, say one yeah. care at five children, this yeah. could be very wrong. What I'm
2: saying? No, no. It's one <laughs> I'm just to four to yeah. two, and um beyond that, I'm not sure. Yes, but yeah, like it's we we are and all over the world is currently undergoing what would be called a child. Care expansion policies so we're expanding our childcare like sectors all over the world and in some ways in some places where they already have a really large um public community owned not-for-profit sector that's going fine the for-profits are coming in and they're helping expand to meet demand but um they're not like the bread and butter of how childcare is delivered in Norwegian country, in Nordic countries. Yeah, so in our country, in, in Australia though, we're, we're going to have a lot of difficulty undergoing expansion without using for profit because we already can't meet the demand that is existing. we use the budget that was allocated towards the Commonwealth Games
1: <laughs> and we'll talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> we have like, uh, what I would just really love to see is making the existing system work. Ensuring that the people who work there are paid properly and have access to their training and professional support. Ensuring that each child has access to high quality care. When we keep talking about access to high quality care in tandem with this just rapid expansion, it, they, they're kind of counterintuitive things. Like it's very hard to deliver quality when we're just like hand over fist. You know, getting and 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 this is an economic imperative, and for many families, and that's why, as parent, when we started parent work parents work collective because we wanted for that to change and for parents and
1: families to have a choice. So it's an organisation that you can, um, like, how does it work? Do you, do you do you can you join? Do you follow? Is it is it for? Um, only protect people, particularly in industry roles or at the at-home role, or
2: everybody. We just need people on the mailing list. That's how you demonstrate to um, government. Um, this is how parenting bodies that are engaged in advocacy work—they um, to say like they represent a community of eighty thousand parents—and mm-hmm. then they get consulted on policy making and advocacy. And right, so you've just got to follow our page and. Sign up to the mailing list. Like we, we don't have a leg to stand on until we can demonstrate that this is something that many families um, want but haven't had, like, haven't had the words to put around that Yep. or haven't really um, had the time to say, look, what would really be best in all honesty for my family and I right now is this. Mm. We don't have time for that. We, most people are just trying to get through the day and it's, it's so full. And, yeah, that's sort of what I was talking about. Like, yeah, we're sort of by this, um, we eat away at people's time. Mm. And when you erode people's spare time, it also undermines their ability to be like, to advocate for themselves mm. and to be like, oh, this is actually not, I didn't want to be this stressed. I didn't want to be working like as much as I am. I don't know how to get out of it now. And, well, I can't because I've got bills to pay. And, yeah, it, and that's what, yeah, it kind of we've undermined, um, yeah, civic engagement yeah. A,
1: in a real way. I mean, absolutely. It wasn't really It wasn't until, um, for me, like COVID lockdowns where we w- were actually locked in our homes. And whilst I was manic, we weren't racing around. I was manically taking care of the kids at home, but I wasn't racing around and and, and trying to do multiple different things. But that I had the ability to, um, in the quieter moments, review what was really going on in my life mm. and in the community. And I think I'm with you in regards to I feel like our, our community values are getting lost in regards to sort of economic focus, which is, again, probably a privileged attitude to say, but it also comes from, like, we have to be able to work through this and work this out for... Um, For the want of a like, for the benefit of the future and the kids going forward. Thank goodness you have also gone on the journey of studying journalism and are able to eloquently put out and point out your experiences, but not only um, the things that you feel impassioned about, because you put it in a way that um, that makes sense, and also um, you know on a personal front. You speak on behalf of people that have experienced what you've experienced and advocate for that. So we just really I like really appreciate the way in which you you've created the Parents Work Collective and you know and I one thing I just want to quickly ask right. is with the Working Care Select Committee, I noticed that was established in twenty twenty two. Is that how please for the sadly ignorant (laughs) Uh, people like myself uh, how can you explain that is a committee of members that essentially carry the same views as the parents work collective to be able to supply submissions to be able to like change policy
2: or the working care committee were in charge of going through the evidence from the working care inquiry Gotcha. Yeah, they're like a government body that that looked through the evidence and came up with their report, which fell short for us on a lot of levels. Um, Yeah, they were really – their primary focus was on um, improving ways for everybody to disengage from unpaid care work, essentially. Right. So extending parental leave, good. Um, Better childcare, good but also we just fall down again and again on extending support to um, people in the community who are providing these vital unpaid care roles. It's this belief that we can do without that, that that's like a disposable Mm. sort of a role that just is so pervasive. And this care work is worth $650 billion a year to our country. It underpins... Society. the society as we know it the economy as we know it not only my husband right he's full time work he relies on me like i don't rely on him like he relies it's on a me tame. he he translates my care currency into real money that we can use that's mm-hmm. all that's happening there is that's where a microcosm of how the whole economy works is underpinned by all these people doing work for free and we just have to decide if we want to exploit that continue to exploit that for the purposes of making more money Mm. or if we want to where our values are at with that do we want to turn around and be like no that can't we can't continue
1: doing this gosh I mean it's way in which you even care currency that's a term i haven't even heard before but i am going I know. to use <laughs>
2: I think yes. I it, I was like, no
1: i'm i'm using that <laughs> i'm like care currency mm. tom when tom gets home tonight no, i'm joking here's
0: your invoice for the past 20 years
1: <laughs> oh no oh. well you are doing amazing work and you have yeah as again you've spoken so eloquently you've afforded us time with your little ones in tow that i we don't know how you do it you're amazing and we're so grateful that thank she, you i was like is
2: that semi-unprofessional to ask them to provide no
1: <laughs> no, gosh. no i was like you. do you know oh. what it was the perfect person because i'm literally all the time like pulling favors i even one time asked my 80 year old 85 year old neighbor to pop over why oh, <laughs> yeah. so i could oh, it's, it's a part of the community yeah, it is it's and everyone be. helps each other that's
2: so yeah good. yeah but no thank you no as i said this is like I live for this, I am going back to go into my house and go, go about my day but and not like you guys are seeing me. Like this is incredibly validating and I just wish that like I didn't need so much validation but I think to a point like humans do.
1: Yes, we just, there's it just you feel There's good. a natural
2: level at which we need to be seen by other people and we need to know that we're valued to keep like I can do my hard work, I can do my unpaid work. But I do need to feel valued in doing that um, yes. to a point. So yeah, this is lovely, and
1: I really appreciate it. Oh, vice versa. Thank you I mean, we that. feel exactly the, exactly the same. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for seeing us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can. Find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, right? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys.